There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Welcome to episode 94 of Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets. I'm this I'm really going to be a special episode for me joining <laughs> us in studio. Daniel Murphy, Andy uh, Rampernard, and last but certainly least, certainly least, Tom, Tom Bernard. We'll be right back after these exciting announcements. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether or not you decide you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy (laughs) if i'm hanging out with you Uh, maybe (laughs) (laughs) okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Tom Bernard here with my friend John Schwartz, co-owner of AAA Movers, a family-owned part of the Metro since 1964. John, this isn't your first barbecue or a rodeo, is it? You know what, Tom? AAA Movers has been moving Minnesota for over 56 years. Our family business has gone from two trucks to over 50 and proud to say that we're the number one moving company in Minnesota. We believe our success has been earned with time and trust by our customers. Our number one referral is former clients. So maybe it's time you call AAA. If you or someone you care about needs to move from here or there, even if that there is on the other side of the country. I wish I was moving today. If you are, mention Tom Bernard or KQ, and you'll get a free moving box kit with every move, and you'll save 50 bucks off with removal from junk luggers. Your move is always triple guaranteed with AAA Movers. That's their price guarantee, safety guarantee, and satisfaction guarantee. Call 612-588-MOVE or online at aaamovers.com. AAA Movers, you may not move every day, but they do. Dougie playing up a storm. Yeah, do a little. Yeah, I did a little. Uh, my album, album. My wife and I uh, recorded a bunch of covers over the winter just to keep from you know, sure. drinking vodka and watching SpongeBob all winter long. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It was fun. Nice. Um, our tradition on car selling secrets is we always have the guests tell the tale of their very first automobile they had typically as a youngster. Dan, what was yours? Well, the first one I bought was a 1962 Falcon Futura. Mm. Kind of robin's egg blue, and remember, like there's like a paper called the Trading Times, or you could like oh sure, it's like a flea market and yeah, uh, it was the uh, forerunner of yeah, Facebook yeah. Marketplace and stuff. It was 600 bills, and the guy lived in Fridley, and he was pretty nice, but it was a little bit of a Flintstones vibe, and that the floorboard you could see the ground go by you, <laughs> but it looked pretty sharp from the exterior. I actually, and this was a few years. After you and I lived together, I, I, I inherited my great uncle's 1960 Ford Falcon. Nice, yeah. 
he uh, decided at 95 years old. I'm actually named after him. My great uncle Doug oh. came over from England after World War One. Never lost his accent. And I said, Uncle Doug, why are you giving up driving? Well, I look at it this way: if I ever get in an accident, the judge will look at me license, say 94 years old, you're automatically guilty. Yeah, so. I can see that. <laughs> a little sporty for an old guy that those Futuras or Falcons too, you know? Yeah, it's kind of a young man's game. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Chick yeah. magnet. Chick, yeah, not for me, but yeah. <laughs> So I'll tell the story, uh, and before we start peppering Dan with questions, uh, he and I were stepbrothers. Our parents were college professors married to each other, and we were just trying to remember how long it was. I thought it was 15 years, and Dan reminded me that it was might have been like 18 months. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was a very quick idea they had our parents right. to get married, because I met you one time That's out right. in Minnetonka, yep, yep. and then the next time I was like, hey, we're going to get married and buy a big house in Kenwood. And that was like a month later. Yeah, yeah. The things move quickly in Very both quickly. directions. I don't know if there was a shotgun involved or not, you know, but it was uh, it was very surreal. It was the 70s, which is really weird. Yeah. And Doug was a big, tall, skinny, greasy-haired, full-on hippie dude. Drug-infested, 15-year-old. Yes. Very much so. Six feet three, you were as yeah. tall as you are. Yeah, yeah. And, like, my sisters at the time were popular, and they were on the dance line and stuff. And, like, to have a stepbrother at that age that was a deviant was pretty thrilling. <laughs> deviant? I like that. Yeah. Now we're learning things. Yeah. We've just learned something. I like it. So, yeah, we had some, we got in some, some hot fun. We yeah. did some crazy stuff. And it never ends well, anyhow. No. So this is no, this story didn't end well either. So what happened was uh, Dan was talking, I was on a music podcast, and it must have been, what, late winter, and he had mentioned me, and some woman who was a mutual friend of both of ours on Facebook messaged me and goes, hey, I don't know if you want to connect with Dan Murphy, but he was talking about you in this podcast, and I said, I would love to. You know, I'd meant to over the years, and and Dan is a founding member of Soul Asylum, and I'm like, God, I'm still playing Jethro Tull covers, and this guy's an international (laughs) rock star. He's not going to want to talk to me. But uh, we connected about eh, a month or two ago, went out and had a lovely dinner and caught up, and it was it was really, really fun. Yeah, it was very surreal. Yeah. Because it was so long ago. Yeah. And um, Doug was my introduction into music. I mean, my mom was kind of worried about, I was, I was a very shy, kind of nerdy kid. Unusual for sixth graders. Yeah. Yeah, they're usually so gregarious, right? <laughs> yeah. And so my mom decided that Doug should give me guitar lessons. And um, that's the only, only formal training I ever had. I think I learned Wild Thing by the Hendrix version. Ooh. House of the Rising Sun, I think. Yeah. And you wanted me to learn Tobacco Road for some reason. I don't know. Oh, I was big into Johnny Winter at the time, yeah. I think. Johnny. <laughs> so I think I had four or five lessons. And that, that completed my formal training in music. That's all I ever had. So... And thank you for thinking that I had anything to do with your success. It would have happened, obviously, anyways. But well, I do have to ask you a question, because yeah. the, the original band that I saw you in, and I think it was with Dave, and my memory's going to fail, was Loud Fast Rules, yes. right? Yes, And quite honestly, the first time I saw you, I'm like, these guys kind of suck. We did kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. I mean, it was a lot of ambition, Yeah, and we wrote really complex songs that had... 11 parts and you only needed three right. of them so it was all over the place as todd rundgren says don't bore us get to the chorus we yeah. didn't have any choruses back then yet <laughs> no either. Course. so yeah and, it was just like a hot mess right and then about two years later it's kind of like do you know kurt obita yeah so kurt Butates, and you right? kind of, yeah, yeah 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 great blues guitar player mm-hmm. just wonderful but i knew kurt in college he used to come to a place where i was practicing and he'd sit in with us once in a while and he kind of sucked yeah and then he went to chicago for a couple of years and it's like so you could you could be playing with Paul Butterfield. You're really that yeah. good. And you guys did the same thing. The next time I saw Soul Asylum, I'm like, yeah, I kind of cleaned up a little the of the rough did edges. You do that? So what was the? How did you transition from? Well, we made like the early days. We'd make a record on Twin Tone, and you get four days to record, overdub, master, mix everything. So I mean, those, the Beatles did the White Album in half an they, hour. That was their twelfth <laughs> album or whatever. So that, yeah, yeah. yeah, you get a little better every time. But I think what we learned is. You know, we were all kind of nervous, deviant kids, and we had so much ambition and so little talent, we just kind of dumbed it down a little bit, you know? Like, we don't need all these periphery, yeah. f- fleeting thoughts that just go in and out of your songs. And 
I mean, touring, we toured a lot. We were never around. That's why people are still nice to me when I go out, because I, I was gone for 20 years, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they don't really know you. <laughs> no. So how are they going to miss you when you do go away, you know? So we just toured a lot, and we got, you know, sometimes... You know, to break the boredom, we would say shit, stuff like, hey, you know, Bob Seger died today. And there's no smartphones. We'd play, like, Oops. she loves to watch you strut. We'd play it and, like, laugh it up. You know, and then the next day they'd probably check the paper. <laughs> we just, we just, like, just to amuse ourselves, we would make up these, like, we'd go to Germany and sing, like, Grand Funk Railroad songs and fake German. And they just go, it was amusing, I guess. Because they, they came back, they, you know. It wasn't like we drove people away. I was in a band with my ex-brother-in-law, and we were playing in some... It was a softball benefit at some 3-2 bar in, along Lake Street in Grand or something. And we were early 20s, I suppose, and this really old woman, she was like 40, <laughs> yeah. completely shit-faced, and it's 4 in the afternoon, comes up and goes, can you play 16 Candles? And Baron, my ex-brother-in-law, goes... Do you know what? I says, I know the chords. I don't know the tune. He goes, I just countered off. And he makes up the song. Of, it turns into a guy who's in a jailhouse because he murdered his Spontaneously, girlfriend. Spontaneously, like on the spot? Yeah, yeah. On, his, on her 16th birthday. Huh. The entire bar, all 70 people, are just like laughing, except for this woman who's standing in front of the stage, rocking back Tearing. Forth, tears rolling down. Wow. Oh. wow, I didn't see that one coming that way. That was way. the best 16 kids <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. You got to get bored and you mess with the audience sometimes. So the last time I saw Doug before our meetup a month ago was probably 1983, maybe, at Duffy's. I think we were opening for the replacements. They had a music room. And then they had this kind of drinking man bar. And they put a little stage up. And they had, like, strippers. And I remember sitting there at probably 20 years old at Soundcheck thinking, this music thing's all right, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the last. That's like that. That probably been six years since uh, our parents. Yeah, broke so up. so thirty-eight years ago. That's about right. So Doug would had this trick where he oh, he liked my mom's car. She had a '67 Impala. Mm. So Doug got a set of keys made for himself, and you weren't even driving age yet. I was fourteen. <laughs> yeah, and he would just take my mom's car. We'd go bombing all over Kenwood and stuff. So I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, my buddy Shannon Kyle, I don't even remember. He, yeah, you said yeah. he's dead now, but you guys yeah, yeah. Uh, cracked himself sh- into the yeah. ground. We were tight as tigers, and he had gone to a Blue Oyster Cult concert, met some girls from Blaine, and he's like, hey, they invited us up for the weekend, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, I can't go for the whole weekend, but we can go out there for the night. And our folks were out of town. So I took the Impala, and we're on northeast Minneapolis, and the thing overheats. I'm like, oh, crap. And I was a little bit handy. I'm like, well, the radiator hose is broken. Well, I can fix that. So we fix it and go and hang all these girls, come back. Folks come back from the conference, and my dad comes downstairs, and he goes, Doug. I said, yeah, yeah, Dad, what's up? Um, call the Pope. And I said, Dad, why would I call the Pope? We're not Catholic. Well, there's a miracle. I said, what are you talking about? Well, when we left Friday... Uh, your stepmom's car had a broken radiator hose, and I was going to just change it so she'd go to work Monday, but it healed itself. He knew like, damn well what had gone on. Of course out. he knew yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah. So one day my mom went to go uh, pick up her car at the university, and it was gone because Doug had it. Sarah, oh. Sarah, if you're listening, I, I think you probably better take some calls. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we called the cops. Yeah, I was not a great child. Well... It was exciting, though. I mean, it was a, it <laughs> no. was a 70s. It was such it a was. weird time, you know? We had this. It was a beautiful house. It was on Franklin Avenue, right between the end of Lake of the Isles and Penn Avenue. You know, it was right across from the park. And it was. And you know what the crazy thing was? They paid $57,000 yeah. for that house. I'm sure what? it's worth a yeah. mill and like a quarter. Years ago. Yeah, yeah 75 Wait, so was yeah. it on the lake? It was two houses off the lake. It two had like houses. a yeah. oh, yeah. clay roof. It's like an arts and crafts kind of style. Yeah. Had an elevator in it that they kind of made dysfunctional. Yeah, boy, we messed up the kitchen. Remember that job we did at an unpainted place? Oh, that's right. That was another family bonding thing. We were supposed <laughs> yeah. to. We're all going to get together and buy. The, remember Buck's unpainted furniture? Oh, I think sure. it was on Harmon and yeah, absolutely. Dad buys all this furniture, and we got hideous. Six of us kids, and and we had zero interest in doing this. So the goal was to do as fast as shitty a job as possible, and we accomplished the goal. So Doug actually (laughs) saved me from like listening to all the crappy music in the seventies because he kind of saw himself as a 
quotation marks, air quotes, a blues man. Oh, he was a blues man. So yeah, he was like into John Mayall and Eric Clapton yep. and like, you know, Black Sabbath was like kind of dreary and Kiss was poser. So I, I, I missed a lot of that stuff, you know, which is kind of thankful Lucky. for. And the first show, first concert I ever saw, your dad took us to the Guess Who in Poco. I remember that. I think that might have been the first rock concert I went to, too. Yeah, I was probably 12, and you're probably 15. Yeah. I remember and I'm trying to inhale all the weed from oh, the people I remember sitting the right too. in front of us. It was crazy, because it used to just be like when weed smelled like like a skunk. Like, yeah. You know? yeah. It was just insane, but I remember taking that in, too. And the Guess Who were kind of, they were actually a pretty good band, yeah. you know? Well, Burton Cummings and... Yeah. Uh, Randy Bachman. Uh, Randy Bachman. Yeah. He's no slouch. Uh, I don't know why they had Poco on the bill. But that's the first show, and I remember just sitting there and saying. But Poco, that would have been when Timothy B. Schmidt was yeah, in the band. They had that so, song, In the Heat of the Night, yeah, I think. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Kind of like Eagles sideways thing. Officer Dave's checking the statute of limitations on Grand Theft Auto. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Officer. You better cross your fingers. <laughs> One of our regulars piping Dougie. in. Uh, we actually have prison. a quest for Dan, uh, question mm -hmm. for Dan. Uh, do you remember the guy running the soundboard at Duffy's, Frank? Feedback Frank. I remember him. Because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Duffy's had this round roof and it was stuff. It like a, yeah. up yeah. inside yeah. of a pineapple, right? Yeah. And the funny thing is they'd have bands like Replacements and Husker Du, and I like saw the Go-Go's there, and they did shows. But whoever like ran, they just hated, they hated the music, They thought it was, but they were making money off yeah. of it and right. stuff. But like the Stray Cats played there. Pretty big band. Yeah. Duran Duran played there. At, yeah, at, that's right. I, when you were repping them, I was, right? Yeah, it was a Capitol record at the time. Didn't the I, people have like a liquor line? Like, was it some Johnson that ran that place? And they had like Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. That, I remember. It well, we literally, I took Duran Duran to go see the Tubes over at Northrop Auditorium, and then I picked up Fee Waybill to go see Duran Duran at Duffy's. It yeah. was quite a night. You're like, I'm so new waved out. What am I going to do? What the hell? Couldn't they have some sort of an insurance fire? Whatever happened to Duffy's? A fire, oh. a fire of convenience. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it'll happen. I remember sitting in there, like, and we'd settle up, and we'd get 50 bucks, yeah. you know, yeah. which is fine. I mean, we weren't that good. The pay scale hasn't changed. Yeah, it hasn't. But they'd, they'd bring in their... their registers, drawers, and there'd just be like a pile of cash, man. Simon LeBon says to me, Hey, Tom, where's the loo? I said, What? I need the loo. I said, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Because <laughs> I didn't know a bathroom yeah. was a loo. I had no yeah, idea. I'm from North Minneapolis. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what the hell do I know. All right, we got Joe on the phone now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hey, Joe. Hello, Dan. How's it going? Question, why would you call why do you call them feedback friends? Because I think there used to be some feedback in the room, <laughs> like when you were playing. I didn't name him that. That was that's what he went by. I mean, I we really? probably yeah we'd play like I think we I don't know I don't think they would have who's could you play, but I know the replacements were regulars there. Yeah, and we were on some of those bills. And um, the problem with that room, and I'm not being critical of Frank, I do, and that was his nickname, and it wasn't made by me, but it had that big round dome yeah. that just kind of sucked yeah. air or music and just threw it out again. It was you really a weird room. about that, yeah. yeah, yeah. The just... only band I ever heard in there that sounded good was Peter Himmelman's band, uh, Sussman Lawrence, Lawrence yeah. and they always sounded good, and I'm like, wow, how the hell do they do that? And they weren't quite as loud as a lot yeah. of the other bands. Yeah, and he can sing in key. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's a musician. Oh, okay. yeah. Apparently, Sussman Lawrence was playing in the entry, or Peter Himmelman at the end. And when they had like super loud dance music in the in the main room, you mm -hmm. know, it was like club danceateria or whatever. And he made everybody that was in the entry go to private beach at Cedar Lake. And I he, I remember hearing about yeah, that. I, I've his, always been a Peter Himmelman yeah, fan. That's pretty I, I, ballsy, yeah, you know. Yeah. And did a concert at private beach right. instead. He just said, "We're all getting out of here," which is kind of right down the road from where Tom used to live. Yeah. I don't know if you were around then, but. That was crazy back then. Oh, you mean uh, back in the... Uh, that would have been, what, Golden Valley. late 80s? Late 80s, yeah. probably, yeah. So it was the island in Golden Valley, that, that one? Yeah. 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 Yep. It was probably where I built my house. It might have been. was the only open spot on the island. And yeah, now, he, uh, you know, he had a couple of records that did pretty well, and then he just sort of faded out. I, I have an interesting Peter Himmelman story. He's, he's actually married to Bob Dylan's daughter. Daughter, yep. Oh, really? Um, uh -huh. And yeah, he's a local kid from St. Louis Park, and he played in a reggae band for years called Shangoya that was really good. And then he started this band called Sussman Lawrence. And, New Wave kind of thing, yeah. yeah. I remember Shangoya. Yep, really good songwriter. But um, I, I was, this had to be 15 years ago. I was supposed to play at a wedding, and they requested a Peter Himmelman song, and I can't remember the name of it, but 
I, I, there was one line in the lyrics that I couldn't get, mm-hmm. and they didn't have lyrics on the internet back then. I mean, they had some, but Peter Hillman was not a huge star. So, I found the fan club and I sent him an email, uh, and he responded. Huh. I'm like, wow. that's probably because he had like sixty fans. <laughs> yeah, I, well, which is <laughs> yeah. fair, but, but you know. nice enough. Yeah, that is yeah. nice. Yeah, that is nice. Now I'm going to have to struggle to remember the uh, the name. Hmm. So um, let me ask you about my favorite band of yours that you were in is not Soul Asylum. I mean, it was a great band and had some huge hits. Um, the whole Clam Dip and Other Delights thing was brilliant. That was at, We did that at Paisley Park. Oh, God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there were, Herb Alpert had a song. What was it? He had album. Whipped Cream and Other Delights. Whipped Cream whipped and Other cream Delights. Other yeah. Delights. There you Pregnant go. Pregnant Woman yeah. with yeah. And Whipped so Cream. So we sent Carl, who was the, who's our bass player, passed away, sadly. The impossibly handsome Carl Mueller, we used to call him. And we, <laughs> we put him in a bunch of fish dip. We went to Lund's. And, oh, no, we don't God. want, we don't want the, the, the fillets. We want the heads and the guts. We made the this like goop with oysters and and Carl kind of posing in it. It was it was good, but we owed um, Twin Tone one record because we just signed to A and M. Yeah, and um, I don't know our nickname for Herb Albert or and Pete Moss. That's the A and the M. We call right. him, you know, Pete like yep. Pete Moss. But Dave met him at a show and he's like, "Hey, so nice to meet you." This is early on in the career. You know, I'm Dave Prater from Solosheim, and he's like, great kid. He didn't even have any idea. Yeah. They, and they didn't have that many bands no. then. I mean, Peter Frampton was on A&M, and right. maybe yeah. The Police, a few other ones. But that wasn't a super good fit for us. But I thought that EP was pretty funny. Yeah, I thought it was great, too. It was weird recording out at Paisley Park, too, because, I don't know, it's like a rock studio, but, like, they'd go around with air fresheners that they, that they smelled. It was very un-rock and roll. Yeah. Very un-rock and roll. Well, Prince went through some... Phases. You know. I think that was Graffiti Bridge era. Oh, okay. So, oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what am I... What am hey, I, referencing... Go ahead, Joe. I wanted to say something about uh, Duffy's. Um, it wasn't Duffy's that burned down. It was Mr. Nibs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Mr. Nibs. Didn't Duffy's turn into Norma Jeans Duffy's, or something? Yeah, it yeah. did, yeah. yeah. Duffy's yeah. turned into Norma Jeans, and that's when my dad stopped doing sound for Duffy's. Is your dad? What your was dad his was Feedback Frank? My dad was Feedback Frank. <laughs> you can't make this up. Unbelievable. <laughs> a little bit of a coincidence <laughs> there. Wow. Joe, Joe grew up and he's I a regular listener. Wait, I have chills, but not the right kind of chills. <laughs> <laughs> he's a regular listener. I got listener. the wrong kind. He grew know? up in St. Paul, but he uh, oh, he lives God. in Louisville. He works at a Ford assembly plant down there. He calls I, it, um, wow, that's uh, insane. Uh, I want you to know I've met Feedback <laughs> Frank. <laughs> I've met him. I'm very happy. <laughs> oh, that's God. absolutely insane. When they do the alcohol-free Sundays, and I didn't have school on Mondays, I'd go to work with them and sit there and watch all these bands. I've met quite a few people. Mm-hmm. I might have even met you guys, not even knowing it. Yeah, we were called Loud Fast Rules back then, and we all had acne and wore too tight of pants. And we're <laughs> no just, girlfriends. No girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Joe, you're amazing. From now on, by the way, your your new uh, you new are now name. feedback Joe. Feedback no, no, Joe. No, we'll go feedback Frank and jag off Joe. <laughs> All right. All right. Everybody wants to belong, you know. Sure, give Doc more ammo, you asshole. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, that Thanks. Joe, I am so happy you called in. You made my day, man. Your father is feedback, Frank. Uh, I said that I, I hey, didn't I name him. Well, you said you were kind. Yeah. You were very kind about I, the I whole try, thing. I try, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That is one of the great moments of my life, right there. Oh, what are insane. the chances that feedback Frank's, Frank's kid's gonna call in? Like, hey, and like, do you remember the guy that did monitors and sound? Yeah, we called him feedback. That's, yeah. yeah, that is so. Phenomenal. Ooh, didn't God. see that coming either, you know? No. No. God, what a. Oh, God. Thank you, day. Joe. Have a wonderful Joe, day. Thanks, Joe. Day, Pally. You made the highlight reel, pal. All right, see be well. Ya. Take Bye. it easy. I, honest to God, that's one great thing about radio, man. You never know what the hell's going to happen. I didn't see that coming either. I didn't either. <laughs> I just thought. Because I knew he grew up in St. Paul. I talked yeah. to him from time to time. I'm like, oh, he must have been. And well, the other thing is, like, he is, he's younger than I am, but he's old enough to have yeah, been Yeah, but there. we're relatively old, so, like, I mean, yeah. like, having 
convoluted stories about Duffy's, a place that didn't burn down. Right. I mean, so it's like the way back time machine. Yeah, you know? that's well, right. that corner was very yes. busy. It had yeah. a bowling yeah. alley busy there. Was it Stardust or something? Stardust. Yeah. Stardust. Yeah. That's where the musicians yeah. would go at 2 in the morning to sober yeah. up before the long drive home to Fridley. On acid, yeah, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> bowling on acid. <laughs> and the famous Hexagon Bar, which had the... Uh, they had, they thought it was a air purifier, but I think they wired it backwards because it was the smokiest bar in oh, North God. America. Well, you know, it didn't work. People that smoked it go, oh, my God. This I want to hear a really weird story. This guy that I'm um, been working, making a record with is a bass player. His name is Pat Nelson. And he got COVID real bad. Oh, and um, he lost his sense of smell. And when his sense of smell came back, like his oral nose factory is trying to connect with his brain again. And he constantly smelled like when you take your clothes off from being at the CC Club all night, like just <laughs> smoke-filled clothes. And he, like his wife would be cooking something with garlic in the kitchen, and he'd walk in, and he thought like a bum got in their house or something. Wow. And it, like it's like I guess it happens in two or three percent of the people, but the way your brain and your nose get to interact again is it presents a smell that you've really accustomed to, that you have a strong, like. You know, connection. And his was, you know, like taking your your jeans off after you've been at the CC Club for five hours when you could still smoke at bars. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. still smoke at bars in Florida, which is insane, right? In some, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can yeah. you really? I yeah. still love that. We were talking about that this morning as well in the morning show. That uh, yes, you're in no smoking. The lane, the 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 uh, the seats just before the smoking section. Right. It's like what are you talking? On an talking? airplane. I know. On an airplane. Yeah. The dumbest thing in the yeah, world. I, I don't know if you know this. You recycle the air yeah. there, so I don't know if there is it's a. It's like no a smoking. sardine can. Exactly. Isn't that just insane to think? Like when 15 or 20 years ago, you could sit on an airplane and smoke. Yes. I, uh, and I, they always got hijacked back then. What was up with that? Yeah, yeah a that was a thing for a while. Yeah, it's because yeah. the first one was so successful. They never thought it was going to be successful, and we caved in. America basically caved in, and that's yep. why all this hijacking started. We got to take a break. We'll be right back with a second segment with Dan Daniel Danny Murphy. All right, Doug. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate, and when I heard the Shift story. It made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. Hey, it's Tom again for my good friends at Profile by Sanford. I'm all in with my profile journey, and I'm happy to tell you that I've lost weight, and I'm keeping it off, lost a lot of weight. So what's the secret to my success? One word, coaching. I have the best. Danette has been amazing. Yeah, I just think the big part is changing one habit at a time. Yep. That's this whole process, and you need a guide to be able to do that because we don't know you know, what all of the pieces are that you need. So discover them with your coach and put it all together. Kelly, how about you? We also have amazing tools and technology that that help people on this journey of theirs with our in-person coaching, but also our profile 3D body scanner, which which to visualize your progress in this journey is pretty motivating. Profileplan.com for a location near you. Oh, and Mention promo code KQRS for a special discount. Profileplan.com. That's profileplan.com. We are back with 
Episode 94 of Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets, special guest, former stepbrother, huge <laughs> international rock and roll star and hand model, Dan Murphy joins us. Hand model? <laughs> hand model. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about um, when Dan and I reconnected, we went to this great little Mexican restaurant over on Procton, Maine called Jefe. And I said, hey, you know, by the way, I'm doing a podcast. Uh, you should come on. And he goes, I'd like to do it. And I said, yeah, it's fun. And we do it live. And Tom Bernard's my co-host. And he went, oh, no, no. Oh, Tom's probably going to be really pissed at me. And I said, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. So we Why brought would it. I be pissed at you? I'm the good-natured sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> no, the amazing thing about that is that I don't think Dave ever understood. I wasn't attacking him. No. I was attacking her. Yeah. It was very, well. No, best... it, it started, we did some show downtown, and there, there was a KQS, and Dave's like, why? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Something, yeah. So my neighbors, I'd go out, like, get in my car in the morning. They go, oh, God, you got slayed on the radio this morning, you know. That's slayed. <laughs> no, it, it literally is a situation. Actually, it was that it wasn't probably probably close, but Joel McHale actually was the one that made the brilliant call because William Humphreys, Chris Humphreys' dad. Oh yeah, remember when Chris Humphreys married uh, the Kim Kardashian? Kim, yeah, the Kardashian. Yeah, Joel actually predicted on on national international television. Well, that ought to last about seventy two days. <laughs> it lasted seventy two days exactly. That's insane. <laughs> But yeah, so I was just yeah, yeah. Winona, interesting, very, very attractive young lady. But uh, we met her at the um, when MTV would do all those unplugged. Yeah, oh sure, yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean, I got her autograph for my kid, and Dave got her to go out with him at the same. The first time I met her, I was like, wow, yeah. But she, she's a music fan. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. But she's kind of an interesting world. She's from here. Yeah. Well, from she's Winona, named after yeah. the city, yeah, right? And, uh, yeah. Timothy Leary's her godfather. Are That's, you kidding? Oh my god. That's some inside baseball, right? <laughs> it really is. Well, absolutely. Timothy Leary is actually kind of one of the reasons that you and I met. Yeah. Oh, because my yeah, because my dad was a young psych professor at Harvard, and the deal, as you know, is to get on the tenure track. Yeah. And the board of regents, because Leary was giving LSD to undergraduates, said, you know, we're going to kind of right. clean house and get rid of all these young, untenured. So my dad got two job offers. With tenure possibility, one was Biloxi, Mississippi, and the other one was the U of M, and that was 1970. Yeah, you guys are East Coasters, man. Yeah, I know. Very much, yeah. Actually, though, Biloxi's a nice town. Not in 1970, it was. Nah, thank you. That's true. In 1970, (laughs) probably wasn't that great a place. Especially if you grew up in Boston, it's like, I can't even. What am I? What language are they speaking down there? Very quickly, I went, there's a a Beau Rivage, there's a a casino down Mm -hmm. in that area down there, right? And people, some people go, well, what do you, what'd you think? And I'm like, calm down. I grew up in North Minneapolis. I had just got, went down there for the first time many, many years ago. And I walked into Beau Rivage, and there's this beautiful Asian woman behind the counter. I mean, she's just stunningly beautiful, right? And I walk up, and she goes, well, can I help y'all? That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) An Asian person with a southern accent. I had never seen that before. We used to take these two guys, uh... Uh, Girard, he was from Holland, and he was like our first driver, like in the 80s. And he wanted to come to America, and we did a whole tour. He sold merchandise for us, and he was like had the big sideburns. He kind of looked like Ronnie Lane from The Faces or something. Oh, sure. Very small-town Dutch boy. And, uh, like, he toured. He'd never been to America before. He did the whole country, and he just, for some reason, he loved the South. He tried to, like, mimic, like, the way they talk in Texas and compare it to how they talk. Right. And he's like, I'm going to get me some shit kicking. Like, You're not there yet, you know. But I just, I thought, like, New York City or San Francisco. Yeah. And he's just like, man, he was just, he was yeah. trying to master, like, the 2 o'clock in Memphis in the morning when everybody's drunk right. versus a 4 in the afternoon. Because oh, it, it, it changes the dialect so mm-hmm. much, you know. Everybody he goes, talks I can like understand Ronnie Van Zandt. you until about nine o'clock in the evening, and then, yeah, <laughs> he was a good guy. We couldn't pronounce his name; it was like Eric Delmer, so we just called him Elvis. So all the years that he, I like it, yeah, it worked for him. Hey, by the way, if you're Elvis's son, call him. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. So no, he was a good driver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was a good. No, that's right. He was a good driver. In addition to me giving Dan his first Welcome. guitar lessons, another what it should have been a hindrance to his rise to fame is he's buddies and went to high school with Lastman. Yeah, Johnny oh Lasman. Yeah, he's the same grade. I think we went to France. Yeah, I know him pretty well. Johnny the Rock Man Lasman. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Johnny Rock. Yeah, Absolutely. he was he was pretty um, early on in like the, even the Golden Smog, the other band I'm in. He was very um, he'd get me on and like you know, I'd host to play music. He was very kind of very realized that we were classmates and stuff. And he's still in the business, right, Tom? Yeah, yeah he was, he was just here what six weeks ago doing this show. Yeah, he's, he's up in show, St. Yeah. Cloud now. 
Yeah. He's doing his own deal up there. Yeah, John, as a matter of fact, well, Bon Jovi. He, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, yeah, he actually thanked him when he, at, at, he did. Yeah, it's the insane. Hall of Fame, yeah. yeah. Which yeah, is, very which smart is guy. I mean, Bon Jovi's lucky because without Lastman, nobody ever yeah. would have heard of him. Never yeah. heard of the guy. Really good looking rock guy that <laughs> writes great tunes. And... He told me a great story about Bon Jovi once they're walking along, and there's a stunning woman walking toward them. And Lastman goes, My God, is she pretty? And Bon Jovi goes, That'd be a $50 million mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. He, isn't he still married to like his childhood sweetheart? I, I believe so. Yeah. High school I believe that's yeah. true, yeah. Cheaper to keep her. Cheaper, cheaper to keep her. Yeah. That's a great song. So I wanted to ask you this, and I got, we got sidetracked with uh, Feedback Frank, which is well worth it. Yes. Oh, what a My diversion it was. My favorite band of yours is, is Golden Smog. I oh, mean, cool. I just I thought it was so cool. Um, how did you, how did you put that band together? And I, I you've been asked this a million times. I just have never heard you answer. Well, I think the first time we did it, we were, we went to this little bar in Superior called Tony's Cabaret. It was like a sailor bar right on the water, and the Jayhawks were playing. And Dave Perner and Gary and myself got together. And we only had three people, but we called the band. Baldy pills, hash, and guns. Even though there was only three of us, and we perfect played, name for yeah, Superior, Wisconsin. Yeah, and we well, played, yeah, so we played like Jim Croce covers, like oh, earnestly, God. you know, which is it was very surprising to everybody. Were you meaner than a junkyard well, dog? No, we did Gary like the uh, band. Op- operator, you know, like oh a, sure, we, we, we were more of a ballad band. Yeah, that's got a good go. line. She's living in L.A. with my best. Best, best old ex-friend, ex-friend Ray. Ray. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, and that started it, and then we got a few other people like Mark Perlman to be in the band, and we did like you know Rolling Stones cover bands called you know Her Satanic Majesty's Paycheck, and we did all <laughs> kinds of like we did like we had a band called the Original Artists, and we did all the hit songs from 1972, and the reason we were the Original <laughs> Artists is like KTEL Records. I'd buy these like 22 explosive hits and they'd cram 22 songs on one piece of vinyl. It was like KTEL oh, yeah. Records. Yep. And they said all songs by the original artists because that is the name of the cover band they hired yes. to do. Because that doesn't sound like Layla to me. It's, right. something, it's yeah. close, you know. So I we, didn't remember the clarinet solo in the original. Yeah. So for us, we would just, you know, try to goof. And then we got this guy, Craig Johnson, who's a dear friend of mine that was in Run Westy Run and still is. And he's like, you know, we can't really be a real band if we don't write songs. Because the first EP we put out was all covers. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it turned into something that, it was, I mean, very ensemble type thing. A lot of people, different singers and different players, and I got to switch instruments and play piano. It was really a nice nice thing to yeah, do. Yeah, no, it was cool, and tons of talent, and I just... Well, thank you. Well, I wasn't talking about you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, well, boy, look at the yeah. guy. I would be. I will admit, I would be the worst A and R person in the world. I saw the Police when they first toured yeah. here, and I thought, you know, good band, one hit wonder. I never was um, big on trios. Yeah, um, Jimi Hendrix. I yeah. Experience. Husker Du yeah. played Green. their first gig when I was at McAllister. I, I was, we were playing at a party, and, and I knew him a little bit. And he goes, hey, could we play and, and you know warm you guys up? I said, sure. How much time do you need? And he goes, well, we don't have many songs, about 30 minutes. That's 60 songs. Back yeah, then. it was 60 songs. And he gets done, and, he goes, and he's just, so what did you think? And Bob's just super nervous and chain smoking. And I said, yeah. Bob, you know, honestly, I think you kind of suck. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Bob produced our first two records. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Yeah, he's he has good ears. I mean, he really does. Yeah, I, they're not, I don't think they're very listenable, but that it was part, partially us, I think. Too, yeah, you know. Well, you I mean you can only do so much, but it's uh, polishing a turd. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, yeah, I yeah. think that's the technical term. The Get other thing the... is, it's insane to think you can go in and record, especially when you're a novice musician, to like make a record in three days. Like yeah. Twelve songs. I mean, that's just God. It's like. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it depends like on how complex stuff, the arrangements you know? are and, oh, and then, how yeah. tight the band is. If well, you've been on the road a long time, then it's yeah. kind of easy. I mean, the Smog did uh, one of our records out at Pachyderm in Cannon Falls, mm-hmm. and you know, but that was a lot of like you'd, everybody would be in a different room, and you'd keep a lot of the basic tracks, right? Yeah. To go into overdub everything, so yeah. it has more like an organic feel that way. I, l- I like that style of recording. Yeah. Actually, it's, it's my good because it's how you kind of learn ensemble music playing too. If you don't have to go, oh, I'll just redo that later. If that's your, your philosophy going in you don't play very well initially because you you know what's the point because you're going to just go and replace it all anyhow well you probably know this but not all the listeners do the traveling wheelberries were named by george harrison when they were doing some recording and they screwed something up and he goes don't worry about it we'll bury it in the mix (laughs) we'll bury yeah i didn't know that yeah okay you learned something yeah you learn something i could give you another tip Hmm. you know those k-tell records you were talking about yeah you know who did the voiceover for those? I would bet that was you. 
I, I was going to keep that under wraps, like, man. I believe in music. You get 20, and there's like, you know, <laughs> it was just insane that they could actually advertise this band as all songs by the original artist. I mean, that's yeah. semi genius. And they were like, a minute and 13 seconds. Of Layla. You couldn't, it's, it's something, it's quacks like a duck, but I, yeah. you, know, you just kind of like, it's a little bit off. Well, but, you know, it was, it was the, the world was backwards back then. Records were expensive. I mean, they really were. Yeah, I mean, they were. Oh, God, yeah. For yeah, a brand new LP. Remember the, the Wax Museum oh. they, on Lake Street? Yeah, they absolutely. sold it for $3.99. God. I used to, when we first moved to Minnetonka, I discovered the Wax Museum when I was probably it was like Portland and Lake Street, right? I'd ride my bike there yeah. all the way from Minnetonka down Minnetonka Boulevard down to Lake Street, load up on records, and I still have—I've never thrown away. I still have yeah. some. You there. still have all your albums? Yep. Never I used to them. sit out in front of Doug's room and get my nerve up to knock on his door and say, uh, "Can I borrow this Rattling Gears by Cream?" Because I was oh. a little squirrely kid, you know. Yeah, but and you knew all the weed was album. in because it was a double cover. <laughs> yeah, Don't, you're not weed, fooling the weed anybody. Jacket, yeah. <laughs> You used to smoke it right in your room, man. You're pretty oh, Look at the time. Boy! <laughs> we have 10 minutes left. You know, one thing that I loved about that, you talked about the double cover album mm-hmm. and all that stuff, or double albums on it. It was a big part of it when you got those albums, and you would open them up, oh, and yeah. then you'd read all the liner yep. stuff. That was a huge part of buying yes. an album back in the day. And I remember I saw the cover of I'm In You, the follow-up to Frampton Comes Alive, and I knew oh, we were in yeah. trouble because it was like, what is this cover, you know? Yeah. yeah. The little silk pajamas and that whole thing. That might be the worst follow-up record ever <laughs> in terms of you know, like what it does for your career. Yeah, that, Who was uh, it? The band where the guy was holding the washboard, he was giving everybody the finger, and then they just to- took the finger off the cover. I don't Who, that Who the hell was it? It was, a, it was a washboard. Like he was pretending to play a washboard. Only his, he was giving everybody the finger, then all of a sudden, like the second pressing, the finger was gone. gone yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. We got a lot of... Guff from people from like the Grave Dancers covered head, like that mother in the white dress with the two babies walking yeah. away. It's a really cool uh, photographer. But I yeah. thought it was a cool cover. It's actually. very much like Houses of the Holy, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. very yeah. much like that. It worked for us, that one. Yeah, no, they God, had a, what a couple of decent songs on there. Yeah. Somebody to shove. Yeah. That was like the fall, the last thing we recorded on that that record. We, we were like, we need another rock song, and we did it. So let me ask you a song about songwriting. I'm always curious how people do it. Do you write melody and chords first, and then come up with lyrics, or do yeah. you write lyrics first and then? Every time I think I write at least like a riff idea, and then like a, a cadence at the the. So you're a normal person. I, yes. I look at Elton John and Bernie Taupin. I like how the hell do you do yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, here's the lyrics for Levon. Go ahead and just figure out a melody and write some. Chords. I think Elton's got to have some frustration because I mean. I mean, what a great musician, what great songs. But did he write, did Elton try writing songs and then figure out they weren't as good as Bernie Taupin's? I don't know. I don't oh. know either. It's weird because that's a long career, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I think it worked out pretty well for both of those guys. I, I, I would imagine just like everybody else in show business, they absolutely hate each other at this point in time. Yeah, I, I don't know. Bernie was on Sirius for a while. Or what was, was, was Bernie Taupin, was that his first name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bernie Taupin, yeah. I think he was like <clears throat> under pretty strict guidance not to tell any crazy Elton stories. What Which there that? were probably of quite a few. Yeah. May I ask one one uh, record question? Sure. And I'm very serious about this. I love Runaway Train. Mm-hmm. Love it. Absolutely love this song. Who decided to sing it in the cadence and the style you did because it was right on the money? Um, Dave brought it in. Dave had developed tinnitus um, from oh, really bad. From feedback friends. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks, Joe. Don't start up. Don't do it to me. And we were like going to go on tour with Jane's Addiction one summer, and Dave's like, you know what? I just can't do it. And so we started building like a plexiglass thing around the drums. I saw them at Lollapalooza, and yeah. they were just phenomenal. They were so good. Anyway. And Dave got really depressed, and he wrote, he, we, he, I lived on Lindale, and he'd bring his acoustic guitar over, and he brought like, Black Gold, Without a Trace, Sun Made, Runaway Train. I was like, holy smokes. Like, oh, just, and so our initial concept, we were going to make that whole record acoustically, no electric guitars. Right. We kind of shopped around an acoustic demo we made, and every label, I mean, Runaway Train, everybody's like, even I couldn't fuck this up. I mean, people thought it would be, you know. <laughs> It, it was sort of there, you know. And uh, Carl kind of came up with the bass line, which is a little bit, you know that Roseanne Cash song, Seven Year Ache? Ever hear that one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The bass line is kind of reminiscent of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, Dave, I don't know. I, I think it really was a thing where tinnitus was threatening his 
career and that's really all he does and he was just freaked out and really sad and um i know called you up in the middle of the night that's his friend julie penabianco that used to be our a and r person we were on a and m and so yeah i mean it's just i think sometimes when you're feeling that way you, you bypass your brain and you just like it just comes from on the, a sheet of paper and i think dave um I don't know. He really, he really brought it on that record. I mean, the material. The first time oh, we played phenomenal. that song at Great Hall, our manager was like, "Well, there's that." I mean, we played yeah. just acoustic version of it. And he's like, "Holy smokes! I mean, this is the one." You know. Well, I mean, it, 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 the, there was sadness there, but there was also some hidden joy. Pretty and guitar, this, like oh god, it was, yeah. The guy we song. recorded that song with, his name was Michael Beinhorn, and we called him Cotter, like from. What, hey, Horshack. He was just like a nerd. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Guy. Yeah, and he Did was you just... have nicknames for everybody that worked for you? Mine was Lucky. So, <laughs> that's what they call me. It's Alan Crutch's nickname from Town yeah, Lions. Right. So this lucky. guy, like Beinhorn, you know, he, he would create drama so he could be the maestro and solve it. He'd just, like, create unneeded drama, and he was really, like, rude to everybody. We just hated him. But And then I ran into, like, Chris Cornell, and he did their, the guy from Soundgarden, he was doing, like, their big, huge record. Right. And I remember Michael Beinhorn was listening to him sing, and he goes, well, he ain't gonna sing like that anymore, because he used to sing really high, like, screaming and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I ran into him in L.A., and they were just finishing their, like, super unknown record with Mike, and that was Michael Beinhorn's follow-up to Grave Dancers. And he's like, oh, my God, I just, how did, I'm going to strangle Michael Biden. And he hated him so much. And I go, you might be making the best record of your career. I mean, he was just on the verge hmm. of just like, I got to fire this guy. I'm going to strangle him. Right. Like, how did you survive it? I go, oh. <laughs> so same experience. But he kind of would create these pockets of craziness. Like, we got to move out. of the, Just he'd create drama so he could swoop in at the last minute and solve it. Oh, yeah. Which is really yeah. insane, you know. Yep. It's the last thing you need when you're made. But it may be made for a pivoting record in some way because we're like, Stressed the whole time. I mean, Dave and I were essentially homeless, and you know, we yeah, I was going to say you were seven, stressed and broke. We were broke, broke, broke. Yeah, like like seventeen dollars a day per diems. We were staying at, I don't know, some hotel. Like it was just yeah, it was that record was like five months. Yeah, recorded the last end of it at Donald Fagan's studio called River Sound. Mm. I met him a couple of times. He's a weird dude. I bet he is. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah, great writer and stuff. You know. I, uh, have you watched any of that classic vinyl series? I haven't. There's an episode that's about the making of Asia, and it's basically them sitting in a control room talking about all the different parts, and then they interview all the musicians. Uh-huh. And the drummer's like, you know, the weird thing about them is that they bring in this great band, and they have this great take, and then after lunch they bring in a completely different yeah. great band that was even better and it's like that was did... such an excessive era you yeah know, like budgets were unlimited but talk about great ears i mean yeah when they uh, they interview michael mcdonald and he's talking about how they had to sing the backups for peg and there's all these really weird yeah these harmonies are about a quarter inch away from i mean think other. of their first record it had like such great harmonies yeah. like that song dirty work is mm-hmm. such a great song and they were probably 21 22 year old kids yeah. at that time you know like art school dropouts from upstate New York. Yeah, Bard. Know? Yeah, Bard yeah, Well, I went to Miles school, school. Chevy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Chevy Chase played drums with him. When oh, really? College. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. See, He's, you guys don't know much Nick about Jagger music. Went to art, everybody went to art school. Everybody went to Bard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they did, apparently. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I, it's just such an interesting business. I just, I'm not thinking about that. All right, let's talk about, because we don't have much time left, Recently, some guy who was fairly famous as a musician who passed away, I think, three or four years ago, his family decided to release a album that he'd recorded a while back. 2011 and 12, I think, yeah. So Prince covers a solo song. How cool is that? I just, I just can't even no, wrap You just my found head out around. recently, yeah, right? I just, oh, I knew he did it, but I never thought it was going to be released. They were going to put it out as a relief thing when Haiti had that big hurricane. Oh. And then there was some squabble. So I knew he did it. And we we had just put out a record. I think it was a pretty good record. It's called The Silver Lining. And we were in L.A. And we played, um, I think, David uh, Bill Maher's thing. And then we did Leno. And then we're at the airport in Los Angeles. And we're watching the Leno performance, taking, like, the midnight red eye back to Minneapolis. And I'm with Michael Bland. And his phone rings. And he's like, oh, i got to get this. It's Prince, you know? One of my two favorite drummers on yeah, the planet. Yeah, Michael, yeah. Michael was a local guy. The other guy is yeah, Dennis he was like Chambers. He, he's played in the new uh, power generation. Yep. Like Prince new. So anyhow, so Prince calls him up and he goes, what did I just see on TV? What did you just do up there? And Michael's like, well, I was playing with the band. I'm playing with Solo Time. It's a song that, you know, Dave wrote. It's called Stand Up and Be Strong. He goes, who manages those guys? That song is a hit. How come I don't hear it anymore, you know? 
and he just said he's going to cover it. And Michael got back to town. Michael played on it. Oh, so he played on both versions. Yes, that's cool. And I asked Michael about it, and he was like, he's like, he th- like in drummer parlor. He said, "Oh, I thought the tempo was a little brisk." <laughs> meaning, meaning <laughs> it was too fast, you know. But the weird thing is, like, I, there's a kind of a rambling guitar solo that I put together, and um, I wonder if he, I, I can't imagine Prince would sit down and learn someone else's solo. I just you never know. So that record comes out what in June or July? Or yeah, something? it comes out in July. It's track number five. So, so just listen to track number five. No, uh, ad nauseum. I mean, the rest of the album kind of blows, from what I understand. I just, I mean, it's so weird to even think like yeah. you fly in that. Fruit Bowl. I just the whole thing is so weird, you know. But it, I mean, it's great for their brand, obviously. Yeah. You know. No, it is cool. It's got it's got to be really exciting. I hope it's good. I mean, it'd be really cool. I'm trying to think of shitty Prince tunes. Mm. There's some that I don't care for. Wasn't but... that that era, like when he was Cymbalina? Wasn't there some stuff yeah, there? Yeah. 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 No doubt. I was never a fan of Big Little Red Corvette. That yeah, was a great song. It was just really? you, didn't, you didn't need to hear it thirty thousand times. Well, that it's might the, be that right. That is That's the problem. I like yeah, when Doves Cry. You know the weird thing about that track? You guys all listen, play music. Yeah. There's no bass guitar on that. Right. The whole yeah, thing. He's like he was getting a mix together, and he took away the bass, and he's like, "Wow, this is even cooler." You know. I was asked by a college friend of mine who was working in the very early uh, days of uh, KFI Fresh Air Radio. Yeah. She said, "Can you record some?" Prince parody tunes for our pledge drive, and I said, "I'm your man." Uh, so morning, dubs- noon, and night, she gives me dead. <laughs> right? This is what it sounds like when volunteers call. Dun, 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 dun. Freaky Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I, this unbelievable! I I knew that this was going to happen. We'll have to have you back yeah. in to tell, talk more rock stories. I've got a million unanswered questions. Well, we were sitting so at half a. The waitress came up and said, "What's the occasion?" And Doug's like, "Well, every forty years or so, we like to get together and hang <laughs> there out." You go. You know? <laughs> I love the fact there's a Mexican restaurant named Jeff. Yeah, half a. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah, half a means boss. Yeah, I thought it meant chief. Well, the guy that owns it, its name is Jeff. Oh, okay. yeah, Jeff Arundel. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's a pun. One, yeah. It's a pun. We're taking no him. free salsa from that place, but it's if you want a lovely entendre. little Mexican restaurant, yeah, check it's a nice it out. Little spot, yeah. yeah, is it? It's good. Yeah, but your dog was so well behaved too. Good work. Good job, Daisy. Way to way to Daisy. be there, Daisy. That wrap is, wraps up episode ninety four. Yep. Yeah. Ninety four. Still ninety four. Automotive groups. Car selling secrets. We'll be back next week. Special guest is a new friend of mine who lives in Israel, and we'll be talking about what it's like to live in a bomb shelter in your house when the Iron Dome is blowing off uh, incoming rockets, and these guys think it's normal. It's like us going to Walmart during during shooting season, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, and we'll see everybody next week.